Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and basis opinion. Today is November 23rd, 2015. This is episode 145. I'm Scott Magnus, and I'm here with my big boy, my color commentator, my my big old turkey, Jake English. You can find us over at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also check us out on Baltimore Sports Report. That's baltimoresportsreport.com. Also check us out uh, with a multitude of other baseball podcasts on BaseballTalkRadio.com. You know, if you want to know what the Red Sox are doing this offseason, <laughs> you know what? Never mind. Just, let's, let's move on. Uh, you should also be checking out various third-party platforms such as Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist. Is that even in existence anymore? It's on my phone. Okay, well, that doesn't mean it's in existence anymore. iTunes and also Google Play is coming out with a new platform. So if you're an Android user... Might want to check that out. We will be on Google Play once it goes live to the public. Uh, check us out on social media at Facebook.com and on Twitter at Bird's Eye View, B-A-L. With that, Jake, drink of the week. What are you tapping into today? Uh, my drink of the week is a perpetual IPA from Trogues. It's approaching Thanksgiving, yeah. and everybody's got family traditions. We actually... Just got a uh, mouthful of family traditions. We had a Friendsgiving, Friendsgiving. Uh, with some of our friends, and the, the theme was bring a family traditional uh, meal rather than your regular turkey day stuff. Sure. But I couldn't couldn't step away from my Thanksgiving tradition at, at my uh, aunt and uncle's places. Uh, lots of trogues available, and Perpetual is is my favorite. So that is my drink of this week. And you'll be going up to Hershey for Thanksgiving, right? Uh, yeah, we're going to do uh, Thanksgiving with my in-laws family here in town and then go up to Hershey that evening. Hershey, Pennsylvania, not just for chocolate, but excellent beer at Trogues Brewery. Jake, uh, unfortunately, I'm not drinking so uh, great of a beverage. I am finishing up a Woodchuck Hard Cider, but unfortunately, it's a Pumpkin Private Reserve. I feel like the tables have turned this week. This is a very weird feeling. Okay, look. This is stuff that's been left over from the fall slash Halloween season, and this beer needs to be drank before I can get into Christmas beers. One of my favorite beers is uh, one from Anchor Brewing. It's a Christmas ale that they put out. Uh, that has to be this stuff has to be completely consumed out of my fridge uh, before I can start dashing into the Christmas beers. Just don't let Dave Stevenson see it on social media, or else it will be a thing. Uh, it's not as bad as Miller Lite or Bud Light, and you putting it proudly out there. That was Michelob Ultra. Thank you very much. Okay, even worse. Uh, with that, let's go through the rest of what's going on in the past two weeks on this week on the Twitters. First one up is from uh, Camden Depot. Um, John Shepard has been posting over there. Um, you can follow them at Camden Depot. 
He posts, recently I heard that industry perspective is that Orioles will let the scene shake out and look for undervalued leftovers. Isn't that every single really? offseason for the Orioles? I find that fascinating. Yeah, that seems to be pretty much what everyone would expect the Orioles to do, but yeah, maybe things change. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. Next, we have a tweet from Craig Calcaterra, who tweets, of course, at Craig Calcaterra. Uh, it's an article, uh, and he he links it. It's uh, from uh, bizjournals.com. And the tweet goes as follows. Braves chairman and CEO says, quote, Baseball is not a widely profitable business, end quote. Maybe that's why the Braves are looking to sell the team right now. Um, really, you know, it, it, it actually makes some sense, to be fair. You look at some of the revenues that, you know, certain baseball clubs are making, and it's in that 10 to 15%, which, again, is not outlandish considering the amount of revenue that they're putting out there. It's typical of a small size business. I wouldn't say small a medium-sized business um, in the marketplace. Um, but I tell you what, it's kind of just comes off as really oh, it's, poor sounding. It's totally tone deaf. Yeah. <laughs> but, but let me ask you this. Even if you're not making gobs of money year after year for uh, buying a baseball team, yeah. isn't buying a baseball team really about estate building? Isn't it about buying the team at one value and selling it at another? I mean, look at what yeah. Angelus is going to do. Yeah, You're, you know, he bought the team for, what, $373 million or something like that, and now it's worth a billion dollars with a TV contract associated with it? I mean, come on. Who cares if the, the owner makes money year after year? I understand that he has to line his pockets somehow, but anybody who can spend $300, $600, a billion on a baseball team doesn't really need to worry about how he's going to cash that particular check that day. Yeah, I understand you. what you're saying from a valuation standpoint. They definitely are seeing an increased in return on investment. By that same aspect, though, if you would have gone and you know would drop $200 million into a small company like Google, um, well, you would have had a little bit more money than a baseball team. Yeah, but I wouldn't have the magic. Yeah. Let's be fair. We didn't really see much magic for, <laughs> for several years as well. Um, for everyone that hasn't been following Twitter, um, there was an uproar this past week when Jake Garrietta won the Cy Young for the National League. Good for him. Yes, good for him. Tips, tip the cap to Mr. Arietta. Um, but I couldn't help but put this into the Twitter this week. This comes from Nick Schaefer. You can follow him at Nick underscore TCS. I feel like this would be a very appropriate time for the Orioles to fire Rick Peterson. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Actually, most times most would times, be very yes. appropriate. In fact, Take your flux capacitor, go back several years, and let's make this happen. Next, we have a tweet from Hardball Talk, at Hardball Talk. The Braves are shopping Freddie Friedman with Link. Scott. Yeah. The Orioles need yeah. a first baseman. They do. The Braves have a first baseman. Yep. Do you think that's a fit? Mm, sure. You were willing to trade away uh, Kevin Gossman, Jonathan Scope, and Hunter Harvey? That's not good to you? I th I thought the way this worked is that we gave them trash and we got their treasure. Isn't that how GMing from the armchair works? Mm, maybe with the Braves, actually. <laughs> All right. This one's for you, Jake. This comes from WNST. Mm. Yeah. This comes from Nestor Apparatio saying, so Orioles are going to chase Astros Chris Carter, who hit 199 batting average. Guess Ghost of Mark Reynolds and Dave Kingman aren't free agents. Actually, I believe Mark Reynolds is a free agent this year, number one. Yeah, but not as ghost. Yeah. And number two, I find it interesting that an individual decides to, quote, batting average for power hitting first baseman. You know, when Chris Davis has, you know, a 230 batting average, I don't think many people are looking at that. I think they're looking at the long ball. So nice try. Let's, let's move on. 
All right. Next, we've got a tweet from uh, Orioles on Masson. They tweet at Masson Orioles. In case you missed it, Joseph on Weeders, quote, I'd love to be Matt Weeders backup for the next 10 years, end quote, with a link. Can I just say something? Yes. Caleb Joseph gets it. It doesn't it doesn't even matter if he means half of it. That is exactly what you say to the media. Is it trope? Yes. Is it uh Kevin Costner's spiel from uh Bull Durham? Fine. Whatever. That is exactly what you're supposed to say. But realistically, there's no way that he plays for ten years, right? No, of course not. <laughs> I mean he's twenty nine years old and he's a catcher. If he plays another five years, it'd be pretty impressive. However, he could be Matt Weider's backup in the Mexican League 10 years from now. The question really will be this, is if Caleb Joseph wants to play for another 10 years, is how many babies is he going to have with his family? That is a good question. That is a good question. And how well will they be fed? Well, with that, Scotty, I think it's time we take another trip around the bases. All right, let's go around the bases. Uh, big news over this past two weeks has been Matt Weeders accepts his qualifying offer. So that's where we're going to start at first base this week. Jake, consider me surprised. I had basically been talking up for quite a while now saying the Orioles need to be offering Matt Weeders a qualifying offer. It's going to help the team get a draft pick, so forth and so forth. And then Matt Weeders comes back, completely nukes my plan accepts it so what are the ramifications for him accepting this qualifying offer in your opinion well besides the 16 million dollars that we are basically have tied up with him yeah i mean it, it was a good plan it certainly was um and the only risk of the of the plan of offering matt weeders a qualifying offer was that he would accept it look it's possible. It's like he knew what to do. <laughs> Who told him? It could be that Matt Weeders plays to that kind of money this year. Look, let, let's just let's throw that out there. Like, Matt Weeders is not wa- washed up. He could very well be a two-war player this season. Like, it, it could be that $15.8 million is exactly what Matt Weeders deserves this year, and he, he makes good on that contract and goes and gets paid in his next contract because of it. That is possible. Yeah. However, at what cost? I, I think that it is interesting. You and I had come up with a number of about forty-five to fifty million dollars that the yeah. Orioles had to spend for a lot of holes. I do think that putting all this money in that basket really hamstrings them. And unless the Orioles management and ownership says that this is just an extra fifteen point eight million dollars, I think it's really going to interfere with their ability to build a team that can compete in twenty sixteen. I understand where you're coming from, and it comes back to we're looking at 2016, but realistically, whenever you're dealing with a business, you can't just be looking at investment for one year. You've got to be looking at it for multiple years out. So there is a way for the Oros to get by with this, and that's they could have a heavy roster come this season, or, you know— they could put long-term contracts saying we're going to have you know low pay this this year and then we're going to defer it out further. But then you get into a situation where you had it like with Bobby Bonilla where you're playing people multiple years out where you really shouldn't be paying them. Um, I, I guess my thing is you mentioned a few minutes ago about Matt Weiders potentially being worth it. Uh, you mentioned that you know he's going to be closing sixteen million dollars. He could be a two-war player and maybe that value is there. And we had to discuss discussion offline about. 
you know, what is the value of a player like this in terms of uh, salary? So um, just as throwing back this thing of people don't know, uh, a one war generally equates to about seven, seven million dollars right now. And the way that is figured out for those that don't know is um, basically what happens is um, over the past few years, uh, fan graphs and other academic resources within the baseball community have looked at how much war has been generated by the free agent classes year to year to year to year. And then they look at how much money was thrown to that free agent class to basically achieve such a given war. So players that, you know, were given $120 million will be in there. But players like Everett Cabrera last year, who had a $2 million contract, will equally be thrown into that equation. And over the past few years, it's been right around that 7 to $7.5 million range. So Jake, like you pointed out, if he could achieve a two-war, then theoretically he'd be right around 14 or $15 million. He could theoretically get that value back. But the one thing that we have to be cautious of is the Orioles have oftentimes succeeded by underpaying players and getting maximum value for it. To pay someone market value for a team like the Orioles who are payroll restrictive in terms of their market size, um, it, it puts them in a, a damaging situation where they can't go out and get certain players that may over succeed in, in terms of the market. Now that's not to say that they can't get out, go out and get, you know, high value players for cheap. It's just much more difficult to do so. And as we saw last year in 2015, they struck out on all sides for that. They, they were very unlucky last year. And again, they spent a lot of money on a catcher for one year. And I, I understand that. The other thing to keep in mind is that if they go cheap in other departments, let's take the bullpen, for example. Yeah. We're discussing whether or not to pay a very valuable free agent. I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But if the Orioles go cheap instead and they decide to pay a Mike Wright and a Michael Givens and to build their bullpen in a very cheap fashion, well, then they've got a little bit of extra money to throw into the catcher situation, and maybe that doesn't totally wreck their offseason. So, I mean, there are options. And, and again— Dan Duquette has made it uh, his job of building a roster full of guys that surprise you that they can make it. It's just a matter of can he use these guys as supporting cast and still have the money to go get the main cast? I think it's very difficult to look at these moves in a stationary role. And the reason I'm going to go into that is I'm going to go ahead and steal second base now. I'm going to talk about J.J. Hardy. Um, and JG very stationary, very stationary. Yeah. JG Hardy had, I think we as Orioles fans can all admit a terrible 2015 season, but I want to go back to terrible, heartbreaking, yeah. uncomfortable, Pepto-Bismol-esque. Yeah. But, but I want to go back to a happier time, October, 2014. And I know you're happy about October, 2014, but I'm not going to talk about playoffs. I'm going to talk about JJ Hardy signing his contract at that time. JJ Hardy inked a three year, $40 million deal. A deal we loved. And a deal that everybody in Birdland loved. Um, J.J. Hardy in the 2014 season came off a 3.3 war season. 2013, another 3.3 war season. To get J.J. Hardy for pretty much you know $13 million uh, would be considered to be fair market value and a, a, a great deal. Even for a player that was going to be 32 the next year. Um, now looking at it, and you're like... Well, that was a terrible move. Look how poor A.J. Hardy was. This kind of comes back to that whole Matt Weiders thing. Can the Orioles play players typical market value, or do they always have to be, you know, looking for deals and steals? I think this comes back to the situation of you're going to make some moves that work out really well, and you're going to make some moves that don't work out well. But turning to J.J. Hardy, 
the torn labrum during the entire in season um, was a big issue. And the news coming out in October was he's not going to have surgery on it. He's going to work to rebuild strength this all season. So people have said, well, maybe we can move him. You know, Manny can move to shortstop. Well, that's not going to happen. He's a 10-5 player. I mean, he's had 10 years in the league, five with the same team with the Orioles. Um, he can't be moved without his consent. And not to mention, if he gets moved, he kicks into fourth year for his option. No one wants that fourth year. Um, so the question is, what do we do with J.J. Hardy? Um, some people said, well, we should just get rid of him. We should just cut him. But what's the point of that? This is not football. Um, you're not going to get any of that value back. You should just basically keep him on your team, basically, and see what kind of benefit you're going to get from him. Look, defensively, J.J. Hardy was still very good last year. Um, it just was he showed no power. The question is, can he even get some of that power back? He even get some of that power back. He has some value to this team moving forward. He may not be, you know, that 20 home run player that he was for several years. But even if he gets back to hitting for, you know, 15 home runs, that'd be great. Jake, in 2014, Hardy had nine home runs. Last year, even with his injured season, he had eight home runs. I mean, the, the ISO numbers are completely, you know, a little bit down. He had less extra base hits. But you got a player that had a low Babbitt. You had a player that had a higher strikeout percentage. A player that was obviously pressing. With a full season to come back and potentially get, you know, healthy, maybe that changes. Again, I... I, I he is 33 years old, though. I hate to sound, you know, repetitive here, but if he is just supporting cast, I'm okay with a very expensive version of the Blade. I'm I'm okay with J.J. Hardy being an eight or nine hole hitter if that's where he fits in a lineup and being really well paid to play very good defense and be an overall great guy with a soul patch. You actually raised a really good point there, too, which was the eighth and ninth hole. For a majority of the season, Buck batted him in the seventh hole, and it absolutely drove us insane. So I completely agree with you. If you put him at the bottom of the order, that works out great. But you have to have someone in that sixth and seventh hole that can get the line of turnover because if you have dead spots seven eight nine or six seven eight nine, man, it's going to be an ugly, ugly, ugly offense. Well, let me ask you this: Does JJ Hardy being an injury risk, and really at this point he is, mm-hmm. does JJ Hardy being an injury risk really hamstring? Oof, wrong choice of yeah. words. Does it um, tie the Orioles' hands in the fact that they have to come up with an at least decent backup plan? I mean, I figure that JJ Hardy being Basically, I mean, you can write him down for being on the DL for at least you know three weeks this season. Yeah, that speaks to the importance of having a great defender on your bench like uh, Ryan Flaherty. Sure, and, and I think it also means that you need to take a look at having a good backup. And I, I think that JJ Hardy's precarious position was really what that Everett Cabrera signing of two point four million dollars was all about last year. So I disagree with that, and this is why I'm going to disagree with you about the Everett Cabrera situation was. Hardy was got injured at the very end of spring training. But let's not forget the situation where Everett Carrera was signed. Everett Carrera was signed, number one, because Manny Machado was coming off a knee injury, and the Orioles weren't sure exactly when or if he was going to get back at a certain point of the season. Not to mention, Jonathan Scope in the 2014 season was pretty pretty poor. In fact, I remember me personally saying during the 2014 season that the Orioles should have gone out and got Brian Roberts at the trade deadline because he would have been a better addition at that time than Jonathan Scope. Now, Jonathan Scope had, you know, great defense, but the bat was terrible. I think it was like a 60-weighted runs created plus in the 2014 season. Now, Scope and Machado blew it out of the water, but to a certain aspect, Scope was hurt this season as well. But Everett Cabrera really was signed more for the other positions and not just for Hardy. 
The fact that he had to move to shortstop, that's not Cabrera's best spot. It really was second base. Fine. Fine. You call me out on having revisionist history. Yes. That's fine. I will I will counter with the following question. Sure. Can Steve Pierce play uh, shortstop? He he can't. But you know what's really <laughs> nice is you had a great player play shortstop during the September of 2015. Uh, Paul Yanish? Uh, yeah, okay. Look, Manny Machado can easily get shifted over to shortstop and play as the backup. I think we all saw that. We have the complete as- aspect of that. The better question is, who could play third base de- defensively? Ryan Flaherty, of course, is an obvious choice for that. He can mm-hmm. obviously fill the defensive aspect. But in reality, it would be nice to go out and get a nice offensive third baseman backup um, and basically use that as your as your benefit. Similar to like a Danny Valencia, who was previously on the team, who could play third base if you needed to in a pinch and also served as a great split platoon hitter um, as a DH as well. Um, I'm not saying that that's on the team right now. Um, that's something that maybe they need to address, but the Orioles are definitely going out and getting infield depth, including Steve Tollison, who was signed today. Hear me out on this. What about a player that could back you up at third base, who could also play first base, who could also play right field and in a pinch come in and close a game in a 16 inning affair in Boston? You mean Steve Pierce? Yeah, that's the one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's, let's go ahead and start, uh, rounding our way along. Let's go to third base. Uh, the Orioles have had reported interest in a reunite, uh, being reunited with LJ Hose. No. What in the name of the land are the or LJ Hose? LJ Hose, the guy they traded away in part to get uh, Bud to Norris. get Bud Norris. Yeah. Well, I know that they need corner outfielders bad, but LJ Hose? No. The guy that couldn't make it in Houston? Come no. On. It's terrible. It is absolutely horrific and terrible, and there's no reason the Orioles should be looking at LJ Hose. It would be a minor league, you know, deal, I, I guess. guess. So there's no real harm in it. That's it's one of those deals where, like, I don't really have any angst with it to bring him back into really, the organization. There's no harm in it because, again, you've got Daryl Alvarez down in in Norfolk. You've got Henry Arudia down in Norfolk too. Do you really need to have LJ Hose? Like, what is he going to do for you? If, at best, he's quadruple A player. If either of those guys can't beat out LJ Hose for playing time in AAA, then it doesn't hurt to have him. Yeah, that's fair. But past that, it's organizational depth. But no one should be getting too excited about LJ Hose, just like we shouldn't be getting too excited over T. Steve Tollison. Look, LJ Hose serves a very specific purpose. Yeah, so I can wear a jersey that says Hose on the back. Absolutely. Yeah. If you can't live in a world in which a good Hose joke makes you feel good about the universe, I don't want to know you. Well, it is the season for a hose, hose, hose. Nice. nice. <laughs> How long you been sitting on that one? Uh, me and your wife were talking about it yesterday. So, Jeez. <laughs> All right, let's go into home plate. All right, so reports are out there from Buster Olney um, indicating that Peter Angelos is directly involved right now in the Davis negotiations trying to get him to re-sign with the Orioles. And Jake, I got to say, I'm a little bit mixed on this. We've complained for the past two decades about Peter Langelos getting involved directly with the general manager. How can this be a good thing? Is it a true thing? Okay, that's a fair point. It, it probably is not a true thing, but we'll point out that he did, when he had his interview with Rockabaco at the beginning of October, he mentioned specifically wanting to have an active interest in Davis. And throughout the past two months, Davis has always been linked towards Angelos. 
So we've got multiple outlets here, basically, is what I'm saying. All right. So your question, I'll stop dancing around it. Is it a good thing? Yeah. No. It's not a good thing. I think that uh, Peter Angelos has been vilified in this town for a lot of reasons. And the thing I think he is most guilty of is being a pretty good guy who's pretty bad at running a baseball team. And the only success that he's had is when he has done a good job of not trying to run his baseball team. For people that really, 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 really at the risk of failure want Chris Davis to be back, yeah, it's a good thing. I would say for all those people that really, 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 really wanted Nick Marcakis back, it would have been a slam dunk for Peter Angelos to make that happen. Yeah, If he showed restraint in that case— I got to think he shows restraint in the Davis case. There's a few things that are of interest to me on this one. Um, I, I think the Marcakis one kind of caught them by surprise a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, I, I think Davis does serve an interest to the Orioles um, in, in terms of, again, we talked about the whole Tomei conundrum. I think they know how big of a Davis is from a marketing standpoint. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think it is important that Angelos be involved because, again, if you're going to spend – probably $25 million on a player for five plus years, you know, payroll is going to have to be increased. So the question is, is Angelos okay with payroll increasing? Obviously the Orioles have been set with a payroll restriction over the past few years. If Angelos is directly getting involved in the conversations about with Davis, then he's got to be having active conversations about where the payroll is going to need to be moved to. If they go and do go and sign Davis. So that I think is a good thing, but I'm also going to say this as well. If they do not go out and sign Davis, Baltimore fans will be very quick to point out saying Pete Angelos was directly involved in this and he let the Orioles fans down. The potential backlash for such a, you know, some, a direct interaction could be pretty great um, if, if this does go down and happen. And the fallout could be worse than if no nothing was ever said. And look, nothing sells season tickets like winning. Right, I mean, nothing does. Yeah. So if if the and marquee players, to be fair, so for example, well, that's where I'm getting. Yeah. See, if the Orioles build a winner over the next few years by signing nobodies, and we go into this season grumbling and assume that everything's going to fall apart, a la 2012. Yeah. All right, but the Orioles manage to put wins together over successive seasons. That'll sell tickets. I mean, that will sell. But on the other hand. I really feel like the Orioles are kind of at a crossroads right now because we've we've heard talk, mostly me screaming from the rooftop, that the window is closing. And I think a lot of Orioles fans are really in a show-me state at this point. Yeah. And they want the Orioles to make a commitment. And I think a player like Chris Davis, just as you said, from a marketing standpoint, sells tickets, sells jerseys, sells all that stuff. And I know that tickets and jerseys and all that stuff doesn't really mean to the bottom line what it used to. Right. But at the same time, without the fans in the stands – it's a damaged product from a marketing and, and, and television standpoint. Right. And this comes back to what we were referring to in the, in the Twitter of, you know, is baseball going to get you a revenue source? So Peter just needs to make the decision at this point of saying, you know, is he okay with making 10 to 15% revenue um, off of what he's currently doing, which is approximately what he's making right now, which is actually perfectly fine. It's not outlandish. He's not keeping a ton of money. I take it. He's running a positive business, which is perfectly fine. Or is he willing to increase payroll up to $150 million? And in doing so, potentially, A, get more money in revenue in the future, or B, 
maybe take a deficit for the next few years while he has higher contracts come up, including Manny Machado's in the next few seasons. I I agree. And, you know, it's easy from our standpoint as fans to sit back and say, oh, Peter Angelo should open up his yeah. wallet. I, I do. It's really tough when you put your bank account and just like, well, no matter what I do and no matter how much money I'm putting into it, I'm always losing 10% of my money. That's really tough to look at. It's similar to when you look at your 401k and you're just like, I just put in $1,000 into my 401k and I'm down 2000 That doesn't seem right. So you're saying that uh, Peter Angelos is the millennial of uh, of, of uh, baseball ownership? No, what I'm telling you is don't invest in junk bonds, whatever your investor tells you to do. He shouted on the TV so convincingly. He did. All right, Scotty, if we're going to talk about Peter Angelos and we're going to talk about Peter Angelos and contracts, I feel like there's only one topic that we should be talking about, and that is our friends to the South, the Washington Nationals. But you and I have an advantage. Mm. See, we have a ringer. Ah. I'm a little interested to hear, from a Nationals perspective, some of the rumblings going on in Birdland. Scott, it's been a very quiet start to the offseason. It'll probably be even more disappointing later. So I feel like raging on somebody that doesn't deserve it. And for that, we turn to the resident Nationals fan of this podcast. And that is, of course, uh, Josh Finver, a uh, a contributor to uh, that Nationals stuff down in D.C., uh, the 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 very lifeblood of the band Black Dog Prowl and a, uh, a very unfortunate friend and former roommate of mine. Josh, how are you? I'm good. Happy to be the verbal punching bag again this evening. Yeah, here's the thing. We were from, just, from our nation's capital. We were just talking about uh, Peter Angelos and contracts and everything like that. And that, that of course, led me to the whole mass and debacle. And uh, then, of course, earlier this week, there was a whole discussion about the Nationals being in on Darren O'Day. So I'm going to beat you up on both counts. Um, so let me just open it up by asking this. Can you guys just move back to Canada? Like, is that a possibility? <laughs> it's, it's not a you. It, it only became a you guys when they came to D.C. See, there was no, no pre-existing attachment. What, what um, do you mean, you people? And to follow that up, I mean, no. It's not happening. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not going back to Canada. Not now, not never. All right, fine, um, Benedict Arnold. Uh, let, me, let me ask <laughs> a, a somewhat more honest question. Uh, sure. As an as an Orioles fan, uh, it looks like this Masson thing may drag on forever, and it, it seems to me that if I were a Nationals fan, I would be screaming, "Look, just give us some TV rights, give us our TV rights." That that deal, you know, it may have been an ink, but it was unfair. All we want is our yep. TV rights. Let us be. We'll let you be, and let it be done. From the Orioles side. You know, I I understand that that the cry is, look, a deal's a deal's a deal. You signed it when you knew what you were getting into when you got here. But if I try to be neutral and dispassionate about it, I can say to myself, all right, well, you know, if the Orioles aren't going to give 
all of the the money up, maybe we should renegotiate the Masson deal and give the Nationals maybe a bigger cut of the profits to make this problem go away. Do you think that that is a likely scenario for the Orioles Masson Nationals uh, love triangle? <laughs> I'm not sure what the likely scenario is anymore. I keep hearing that we're close to a resolution, and anytime one of the um, commissioners, whether it's Sealy or Manfred, speaks, uh, they they seem to indicate that they're close to this being resolved. But it doesn't seem any closer than when the deal was unfairly negotiated in the first place. Um, I mean, the, the crux of the issue, obviously, is not so much that the deal, you know, it exists. That it was negotiated before there was an ownership uh, group in place. So it was between Danger League Baseball and the Orioles rather than the Nationals and the Orioles or any, you know, or the three. Um, so, I mean, I think that's an amicable solution for the most part. If they want, like, without um, forcing the Orioles or Masson or whatever name they want to go by in this in this situation to um, grant the Nationals their own, you know, basically give them their own rights and let them start their own network, which, you know, is the most lucrative option would be probably the Nationals' best chance of re-signing Bryce Harper um, after 2018. But, um, I mean, in, unless they're willing to do that, then I think that, yeah, there has to be a renegotiation of terms, at the very least. Um, uh-huh. it's just, it's, there's no other team that owns another team's broadcasting rights. It's just absolutely ridiculous. Josh, I, I think you're being short-sighted about this. There, <laughs> there is nothing that would bring the Orioles and the Nationals closer together. There was nothing in this world that would bring these two troubled franchises in closer <laughs> lockstep than watching Bryce Harper get fitted for his pinstripes. Oh, my God. Uh, don't even – it just hurts to think about that. I mean, that – and I mean, if, if the group broadcast, if the joint broadcast doesn't do it, I don't think there's any hope. Hey, we, we put a stop to that, Josh. I, I feel like your, yeah. your teams, my team's fans, complete and utter <laughs> whining – solve yeah. that problem there, there's I mean, a there, there's a big issue though with this whole mass and debacle in my opinion and it comes back to shaky if you're going to break it off into a separate television network the most realistic choice to basically take the tv rights for the nationals in the dc area would be comcast Sportsnet. and the last thing i think anybody in the washington dc area <laughs> wants to see is more stuff on comcast Sportsnet. that's true I mean, That's jo- true. I mean, Josh, from from a fan that is, you know, in Washington sports area, can you tell us why Comcast Sportsnet would be so terrible uh, as a viewer down there from the watching the Capitals games to Redskins coverage to, I guess, the Wizards, if anybody actually watches that team? I mean, it's, you know, it, it's not without its charm, I guess. But overall, it's not exactly. I mean, it's, it's a very similar experience to Mass and just with more programming because there's no programming on that other than the games. And hey, like, hey, 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 reruns, reruns of bull riding and right. poker tours right. that are not really right. world series of poker. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I, as long as Dan Snyder's not involved, I think I'm happy with the outcome. I yeah. think that's fine. But, but instead of focusing um, on the future with Bryce Harper and everything like that, I'd like to focus on this off season and, and your sure. guys being tied to Darren O'Day. So, I think it's yeah. interesting with, you know, O'Day's numbers have been thrown out, four-year deal, totaling somewhere around 28 to $32 million, which certainly is within, you know, the payroll of the Nationals to a certain regard. Yeah. 
I, I guess my question well, is, where would you put O'Day? How is this poor team without its broadcasting rights going to afford a reliever <laughs> yeah. like Darren O'Day? We'll trade you F.P. Santangelo for <laughs> No deal. <laughs> we want Johnny Holiday or the deal's off. Yeah. My, I guess my question right. is, if you uh, get... We'll, we'll throw in Johnny Holiday as long as it's, uh, it's a lucrative deal on our end. Um, I, I mean, with, with O'Day, I think... Um, I mean, I obviously am not as familiar with him as you guys, probably. I know he's got the uh, the weird delivery or the submarine or 50%, whatever the, the term is for, the, for the, his delivery that is uh, makes him effective against both righties and lefties. And let's, let's just say that. his throwing motion has. goes both ways. Yes, right, exactly. Um, he's strikeout curious, uh, perhaps, is a good way to put it. Um, but I don't, I mean, I don't know. He didn't close a lot of games for you guys, uh, I don't think. That's no. Inaccurate? Yeah. So I don't know that he's looked at as kind of a closer uh, solution. I mean, we obviously have the mess with Drew Storen and, and Jonathan Papelbon going on, um, which I'm not sure I see uh, an amicable solution or a practical solution for either. Um, but the other thing as far as our day is, yeah, that those numbers would seem that they would be within the learner's payroll, but um, the, the they've historically not really shelled out for relievers, the one exception being Rafael Soriano, which they paid two years, $28 million, I think it was, so You'd think if they would be willing to pay two years, twenty-eight on a on a guy like that, they could fit four for twenty-eight for a day if that's what it kind of takes. But I hear his wife works for Fox News, based out of uh, based that, out of DC. So that is true. Know. So I mean, I guess my Maybe. question is: if you look at you guys' bullpen right now, and you've got Storin and Papelbon, is there room to fit a Darren O'Day? I mean, Storin's going into his third year of arbitration. He's probably going right. to be making, I'm guessing, $7 million or so. And then you've got Papelbon. And honestly, I don't know what you guys are going to do with Papelbon. I mean, I don't know how we can you know, really... Freedom of the Wolves, that would be my preference. We've got um, a player just... I desperately want to push off on an ice flow. I'm pretty sure we can also put Papelbon on the ice flow. But, you know, with Papelbon, I mean, Papelbon's going to make uh, $11 million a season. So the right. question is, if you've got Storm making $7 million and you've got Papelbon putting $11 million... That's already $18 million into your bullpen. If you're throwing O'Day on top, which I think he's going to get at least $9 million, can the Nationals really afford $27 million in payroll for their bullpen? Yeah. Well, I think I think what is going to end up happening is one or both of those guys um, being Storin and Papelbon uh, will be gone. That's a, that, uh, that's a big tra- F, though. I think they'll trade Storin at some point. I think he's just his time is kind of run his course in D.C. I think he's got a lot of potential, and I think he you know, could have been a great closer if we didn't mess with his head a little bit too much and you know, things like that. But um, I think he needs a, a fresh start, and he's just got too much baggage um, in, in D.C. to kind of have it work and have him sit behind uh, Papelbon, who is not this town's favorite person, as you may, may imagine. I think uh, what we're all hoping for is a similar end. I don't know how much Game of Thrones you guys have watched, but uh, if you remember the Mountain versus Oberyn, I think we're hoping Bryce is the Mountain in that in that situation by uh, next time. Next time he decides he wants to critique people's effort and then go ahead and give up five runs in his next outing. So let me let me ask you yeah. this question, um, and it comes back to someone in in the National League that was recently traded to the American League, and that's Craig Kimbrell, who. Obviously, he's one of the better mm-hmm. closers within the National League. Um, and, and the haul that Kimbrell got um, from the Red Sox, he got they got basically a top 25 prospect in Major League Baseball, a top 50 prospect in Major League Baseball, 
Uh, and then two players that could easily be right around the top 100 uh, prospects. Would there be any consideration, like you were saying, with Storin? Storin, of course, is not you know a top closer, but right. would you ever give consideration saying, saying like you were saying before, go out, trade Storin for $7 million to a team like, oh, I don't know, the Orioles, and uh, maybe, I mean, maybe get some prospects? Rizzo, uh, Rizzo has a, uh, a way of winning most trades, though, as long as it's not mid-season. Um, he usually does pretty good as far as all he's gotten back. We remember last year he got Joe Ross and um, and Trey Turner in a deal for uh, uh, what was his name, Steven Souza Jr. So I mean, you know, they they've uh, they've been pretty successful with their trades. So if we want to fleece you, I'm fine with that. Uh, take your Storm. He's got a great slider, great fastball, um, but you know he's got a little between the ears that I think needs to be worked out. Well, I mean, the thing is, if you look at Storin, I mean, besides last year, he's actually had a pretty decent ground ball percentage. And, you know, as we've seen yeah. with the Nationals, the Nationals have a, a, a great infield defense. Oh, wait, my bad. I, <laughs> I, I I got confused on the wrong team there. But, <laughs> you know, you, you well, give... I don't even know what our infield is going to look like next year. Well, that's the problem right that there. Will, <laughs> will also determine a lot of that. Pretty yeah. sure it's going to be I dirt mean, with options. four white things on options. it. All right, so Josh, I, I just want to point out to you, if you guys do sign Darren O'Day, the only yes. person you need to worry about O'Day choking is Jose Bautista, which is which is kind of <laughs> cool. You, you don't need to which worry. It's fine with you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's fine with us. We don't we don't think highly of Canada anyway. Um, let me <laughs> let me ask you this. You know, the the Nationals spend a lot of money on pitching last year. Um, right. Didn't exactly work out. The Orioles spend the wrong type of pitching that they spent all that money on. Yeah, yeah. The Orioles, the Orioles spend nothing on uh, anything, (laughs) anything, and and we both have uh, shame and sadness to show for it. Josh, why can't we have nice things? Um, I don't know. I don't know because we're destined to be depressed. Well, you have a Super Bowl. What am I talking about? I don't, I don't even understand. Whoa, 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 whoa. The Ravens are in the midst of a 3-7. and seven, I, Let true. me just call it Redskins-esque season, in which the most recent game in which they beat the St. Louis Rams ended with their quarterback and running back having season-ending injuries. Let's <laughs> let's not bring up the round thing that's right. brown with laces. Let, we're not, we're not You're right. I don't know anything about quarterbacks having <laughs> catastrophic knee injuries. That would, uh, of course that would definitely not. be over my head yeah um josh we <laughs> no, we, but we, it, we are we are we are a uh kid of sadness both both dc and baltimore but you know at least you guys only fail in two sports we have we have four to <laughs> take the cake with so i i want to i want to close uh this little segment where i where i beat up your team with an apology <laughs> josh i, I want to apologize to you as a nationals fan i uh okay. I, let, I let you down uh i read a book recently I read a book yeah. that I hadn't read since uh, just after college, and I know that I hadn't read this book until uh, since just after college, because when I opened it, the bookmark was a paper-clipped uh, parking pass and a set of two tickets to see the Washington Nationals versus the San Francisco Giants on Wednesday, July 26, 2006 at RFK Stadium. 
And okay. Josh, I was supposed to take you to this game uh, for <laughs> the reason that I got the free tickets from my company and I thought that you would enjoy seeing it. And I figured against the Giants, I could wear orange and black and get away with it. <laughs> and obviously that never happened because I'm staring at the paperclip tickets <laughs> and the parking pass, which I'm not sure but I'm pretty sure will no longer get me into game 50 of the 2006 season. So, Josh, I'm we sorry we never saw this game. Do you game. drive a DeLorean these days? <laughs> <laughs> I, I do not. I drive a Chevy Cobalt, which is almost close enough. Uh, Josh, let me just ask you, Nationals fan, are you buying or selling the Nationals in the off season? I'm buying. I think they're going to make some moves. I think that they, uh, you know, they were humbled at least to a degree by what happened last year. I think Rizzo has something to prove. Um, they, I think, I think we're done with the embarrassments of the off season after the whole black dusty Baker situation and, uh, the first MVP in team history, I think is a step in the right direction. So yeah, I, I I'm, I'm bullish on this team right now, but, uh, you know, right. things change in April. How, how, <laughs> how much is it going to hurt when they're a world series fa- favorites and they miss the playoffs? Oh, wait, that already happened well, last hoping, year. I'm hoping that that doesn't, I'm hoping that they do not get any, any credit. Um, I should sell, I should sell in hopes that everybody else sells off. And then that way we might have a chance of surprising somebody, All but right. we don't play, we don't play well as a front runner. Well, Josh Finver, you are an incredibly good sport. Uh, I love you dearly. I miss you a ton. I do not have any patience for your team or your city sports, but I'm, I'm losing some myself. You're 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 a good sport for doing this. Uh, you uh, let's just you don't have anything sports wise to plug, but I hear you really like chilies. I do like chilies, especially in Philadelphia. Um, <laughs> probably the best chilies in the nation, um, but. I don't think that's what you're getting at here. <laughs> no, tell us about uh, Black Dog Prowl and where we can catch you next week or two weeks uh, from now. Next week, you can probably catch me if you can stow away my luggage um, in Santiago, Chile. We're playing a couple shows Thursday night, or one show Thursday, one show Friday, uh, opening up for Candlebox down there. So should be a good time. And we put a nice little demo slash single thing out today, which is free to all. Um, just go to Black Dog Prowl dot com probably has a link there. I hope it has a link there. Someone's not doing their job. Um, or Bandcamp or BlackStarProwl.bandcamp.com and uh, the new single is Dead on the Floor which is, uh, you know, something we did a lot of in college. So Look, you may not enjoy all this Nationals talk, but if you enjoy great covers of Helter Skelter, make sure you check out BlackDogProwl. <laughs> Josh Finver, delightful to speak to you as always. Yeah, absolutely. And dare I say it, Good luck right up until the offseason for the Nationals. That's right. Same to you, I suppose. Well, if it seems like Orioles content in the last two weeks is a little light, it's because... Well, there's nothing going on. We've reached that period that might as well be called the dead zone of the offseason. But just just here in Baltimore, everybody else is still active. It'll be a while before the Orioles do much. So settle in. It's starting to become more like winter here in the Birdland region. It's going to be a long offseason. Everybody just relax. And while we're on the topic 
a relaxing Scott, I'd like to go ahead and blow the save. Go ahead. And I'd like to blow the save by telling people to relax. I know we don't talk a lot of football here on Bird's Eye View, but if you'll forgive me the hubris, I would just like to address a few things that I've seen on the Twitters, on the bar stools, around town, and in the water coolers at work. Look, we're in a really ugly season for the Baltimore Ravens. It's not good. And it's especially difficult to see with the injuries looming. One thing I would like to point out, though, is that I've started to see a lot of people start to turn on one another, kind of the way we see when the Orioles start to play poorly. And I would just like to invite my fellow Ravens fans to chill out, relax. It may be a lost season, but a lost season in Baltimore football is a rare one. And in football, much more so than in baseball, seasons can turn around from one to the other. You have a few more games to watch. Relax, enjoy them, and come back next year. And there's no reason to be nasty on social media. And with that, Scott, is there anything else going on in Birdland worth mentioning? No, not really. I mean, Steve Tollison signed today. Uh, Shout out to my wife, yeah. who when I mentioned that to her, she said, is that a member of Team Steve? Yeah. He also signed some Korean first baseman who was on the Mariners minor leagues last year. Okay, great. Again, minor depth players, but again, like you point out, Jake, nobody's really making moves right now, so don't get up in arms. Even Darren O'Day hasn't signed with another team yet. And with that, Jake... I have nothing else. Baltimore and beyond, I bid you a fond adieu adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. No, seriously, let's go. You've got some work to do. Do something. Do something. Anything. Anything. It's over. Go home. Go.